Tiffany. It's Issa. And I'm also Tiffany. And this is The Last Tiffany. And this is Tit Talks, a podcast for modern women living in a mama world. Welcome back to another episode of Tit Talks. How's it going, guys? Hey. Good. Good. Yay. We're still in January, so Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year to you, too. Yeah. yeah. And hello to our Tit Talks fans. So you're actually joining us on a very special week when this recording will be published. And it's a very special week for three-fourths of Tit Talks. It is Lunar New Year, also known as Chinese New Year, for the Tiffany's. So in spirit of this culturally relevant holiday, get ready for part one of this wonderful idea that Issa had and its legacy stories. In these episodes, we're going to have the opportunity to honor our family history, stories that deserve to be told. And today I am your host and I'm going to do my best to pay honor and tribute to my papa, which is my maternal grandmother who just passed on New Year's Day. So for the listeners that don't know, I spent the better part of last year in a writing class, an autobiographical writing class at PCC. And I actually wrote a lot about growing up Asian American, that experience, and I wrote about my papa. So with this episode, I'm going to start with an excerpt from my writing, and then we'll go from there. I hope you guys enjoy this story. Here we go. We're going to dive in. I sat at the dining table watching her thin, bony fingers expertly handle the red globe grape, peeling the skin off so that she could cut it open, discard the seeds, and hand it to me. I eagerly waited as she peeled each one, a time-consuming act of devotion. She did this until I either had my fill or there were no more grapes to peel. And while I actually never heard Popo say the words, I love you, I knew she did. Love in Chinese families is very often expressed in non-traditional ways, most often through food, and Popal was no exception. She lived a really long life. She was born in 1923 in the Guangdong province of China, and she was the third eldest female in a family of 10 siblings. So in December that just passed, I actually sadly attended the funeral of one of her brothers. And I heard a story about their history that I had never heard before. My uncle Johnny had taken his dad and his son to the village that they all grew up in. And my grandma was married into the Wong family, but she was actually born a Kwan. And the Kwan family household was still standing. And it was this tiny thing. And he actually saw it with his two eyes and he could not compute how <laughs> how 10 children, two parents lived in this home together in this small little place. And my granduncle told him, well, we had an attic. And I just imagine that, you know, they're all piled on top of each other in this tiny little space. But I guess for me, the key takeaway from that story was just really the appreciation of where our family came from and the struggles and the sacrifices they lived through to give this life to us. So when I was in elementary school, I was given a family tree project. I'm not sure if any of you guys were, but I I chose her. And it it was difficult because obviously there was a language barrier. I grew up speaking Cantonese but lost most of it once I went 
went into grade school because we just didn't practice it at home. My mom had a very, a very strong idea that, you know, we were in America and, and we should speak English. So that's what I did. And it was always difficult to communicate with her. And I think about what I learned about her then. And now that I'm an adult, I, I couldn't appreciate what the storytelling was. One of her sisters was actually adopted because the family couldn't provide for her. And as you guys know, like it kind of is still in society today where females are thought of as less than and she was thought of as a burden onto the family. So she later reunited with the family. They found her even though she had been adopted. But can you imagine the trauma, right? You know, and and they've all stayed very close now, but I, I can't even imagine. So my Did grandma, grew sorry, up, you know, sorry. <laughs> I mean, I that <laughs> That part I don't know, but you know, they have always made it a point to make her feel like she was part of the family all along. We know their extended family. We always had gatherings. And even at the funeral that I was at, their extended family was at there, that funeral as well in December. So it's nice that the families come together. And if you think about it, it's like 10 siblings all their children, all their grandchildren. So it's just like we have this like wickedly crazy large family. But she she grew up and with four brothers. So she saw, I think, that disparity between male and female. And when she was growing up, she saw her brothers get an education and she asked her dad, she said, you know, I wanna I wanna get more education and I wanna get it outside of this this town that we live in. And her father refused because of her gender, likely. And, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot and I, I wish, and now I don't have that time anymore, but I wish I knew more about what she was like, because can you imagine how progressive she was to ask something like that, but then to be traditionalist at the same time to know, well, I asked, and that's about all I can do because, hey, I know my place in society. So in terms of like how far we've progressed as women, when I think about that story, I'm like, well... <laughs> You know, in some societies, we're really not that far off from where she was when she grew up. So she actually um, later in 1941 ended up meeting and marrying my grandpa. And in total, she had five children. So she had two girls, one of which was my mom and three boys. So two of the boys did not end up surviving their childhood, which was so common in those days. Also why we have those 100-day parties and the red egg and ginger parties mm -hmm. and why they're such an honored part of our culture, which, you know, I had the opportunity to have one for both Tessa and Miles and you guys were there, which was so nice. You know, it's such, just a gathering of friends and family. Such good celebrations. Yeah. And beautiful too. And, is it ABC? NBC? NBC and Seafood in Monterey oh Park down the street Love. from Teashaw. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love your 100 egg parties. <laughs> I do too. And I really love the cultural aspect of it when we first went for Tessa. So I'm so excited for Miles. Yeah, and it's good food. And then I think Miles, because it was happened to be around Chinese New Year's, it was in February. We actually got the dragon to come and he danced through the room. Do you guys remember? Yes. Yeah. It was very special. That was a kilo touch. Like <laughs> I a... mean, I had nothing to do with it. I mean, they just happened to be making their rounds, oh, but, but hopefully, um, hopefully it's a, a sign of fortune for him. So anyway, so, you know, that that's kind of the background to why we do those parties, because a lot of people just didn't make it back then. So when my mom was one, 
my grandma, my papa took her and my uncle to Hong Kong to visit her parents. So they had already migrated out of China. They actually never went back and they stayed in Hong Kong until their migration to the US in 1971, which was a direct result of the Revolutionary Immigration and Naturalization Act of 1965. So Papal was sponsored by one of her brothers. And I believe, I think he sponsored everybody who wasn't here into the family to come to America. And sadly, he has since passed. So that was, I think, his funeral was in 2019 when I went to it. So they're all just getting really old. And it, it's really sad to see. But, you know, there's a very rich history there. So and we're so appreciative to that family that sponsored us over because we wouldn't be here without them. So all of them, the four brothers, they actually ended up settling in La Habra and, and they all lived within minutes of each other. Like literally, like you could walk down the street to the other brother's house. It was hilarious. And it just makes me laugh now because like when I think about it, this is all of what Dave wants. He's like, we need to live in this like commune and we need to have like our friends so we could lean on each other. And you, you just have this sense of community. And it's just funny because they created that and they created wonderful memories for their children as well as a result of it. So I spent, you know, a significant chunk of my childhood weekends in La Habra. So we spent most of the weekends at Grand Uncle Norman's and at Grand Aunt Nancy's house. And on those days, we would go through Hacienda Heights. I'm not sure if you guys know where that temple is in Hacienda Heights. It's like called the Sai Lai Temple. And it's like you go through it and then to get to La Habra, you got to go through these windy roads. And I always remember being freaked out because we would leave their house at night and my mom would just be driving through these windy roads at night, but we would come out of that, that windy road and then dump ourselves onto Idaho and Imperial Highway, where there was like a Dunkin' Donuts right there. And showing up to a Chinese home without something in your hands is tantamount to sacrilege. You just don't do that. So, so we'd always bring donuts or something else. And, and to this day, I think that is why I have a love affair with just a simple glazed twist donut. Like, I just love donuts. But in the more recent years, that house has really gotten a facelift in terms of like neutral carpet and neutral color tones. But when I grew up, it was like a Brady Bunch house. There was orange carpet, there was orange paint. It just looked just like that. And I don't know if you guys have any memories of going to relatives' houses like that, but it literally looked just like that. It's like it was stuck in time for so long. But, you know, many, many, many of my fondest memories were, were made in that home. We had so many loud family dinners, which were a mix of Western and Eastern. We'd have fried chicken sometimes, but at the same time, Not we'd have, yeah, of course. <laughs> But at the same time, we'd have, you know, the, the Eastern dishes as well. And this is sort of a mix, but my grand aunt Nancy used to make a steak dish and that was like my absolute favorite. And believe it or not, Ticha, I used to have it well done, dipped in A1 sauce. And that was like how I loved it as a child. <laughs> We're speaking my love language. <laughs> did, you, did you eat the strip of fat? Of course. The fat okay. has always been a part of my day. <laughs> The strip of fat is always so good. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> but, you know, the other the other centerpiece of that, aside from the food, was the mahjong. You know, like when I think about it, if I close my eyes, I can still hear the clicking of the jade tiles swooshing around while my brother Tim and my cousins sit there and watch TV in the other room. It was in this house that 
I learned how to play the game, how to stack the tiles. I eventually learned strategy. I learned what made a better hand. And the game brought us together, you know, from older generation to younger generation. We would wait for the adults to finish. And, but the kids, they would check in periodically, trying to get a measure of who's winning because we knew, we knew at the end of the night, whoever won would give us money. <laughs> the tips, baby, the tips. <laughs> exactly. Did you guys bet on who would win? No, <laughs> we weren't, you know, we, we didn't even think about that. We should have, <laughs> we could have had our own little pool. If you were um, only of a gambling mindset when you were exactly, <laughs> exactly, I probably would have never done it because I'm so risk averse. But uh, some other enterprising minds m- might have. But you know, I can I can still see my grandma just sitting there, you know, like enjoying the game, passing out her winnings at the end of the night, just so proud, you know. And she was a constant fixture in my childhood. There's there's a photo of me in this like white and pink dress, gingham dress, like just having a bottle of apple juice, I'm sure, um, outside of her Highland Park apartment, just drinking the bottle by the stairs. And I say apple juice because my parents used to just put, and I used to call it bubble juice because I couldn't say apple. And I used to drink apple juice like crazy. By the time I went to the dentist for the first time, I had eight cavities and it scarred me for life (laughs) because I was just like sipping on that sugar. So now I'm like very, (laughs) I take care of my teeth very well because it just scarred me for the rest of my childhood. But back to my grandma, I mean, I just, I remember coming home to her like comfort at the, at the end of a kindergarten half day. And I remember all the home cooked meals. And most of all, she used to make chicken wings with this lake um, gay marinade. Mm. Um, I'm sure you guys have seen it on the shelves. She would just like slather it on the chicken wings till you couldn't see anything. Which one? It's just, it's called chicken marinade. That's all oh. it's called. And, but she would put ginger in her chicken wings. So that would also equally be slathered. And sometimes I'd pick it up thinking it was a piece of chicken. And all of a sudden you just bite into this nasty piece of ginger. And it's just that, that I remember as a food memory as well. But, you know, she'd on the summers that we were off, we'd take the bus with her down to Chinatown and on the weekends when my mom was off, we'd all do it together. And I still remember like the vibrancy of how it looked back then versus now. It's just looks super d- dilapidated and run down. In the past, there was, and I'm pretty sure it's not there anymore, but there was this chicken shop where you could buy live chicken. So it was like fresh, like it had just been freshly killed. But can you imagine the smell? Like for any LA natives, <laughs> do you, ha- had you ever been there, Tisha? Oh my gosh, it was it was a majestic chicken. I don't know what it was called, but I just remember the stink of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I yes, I have a brief recollection that I probably shoved to the back. Yes, yeah, yeah. But she loved that place because she could get her fresh chicken. Freshest chickens ever. Was it gamey? My my grandma used to kill her own chickens. Oh my god, no, I don't. You know what? Now that I think about it, I don't remember it ever tasting gamey though. Even though. We ate it like that, but maybe I didn't have the sophisticated taste buds to know that it was, (laughs) but I don't know. So while she was like a constant fixture in my childhood, a grandfather was not. And now as a parent, I, I often wonder like, what would that have been like to not have that support in your life? And I, I kind of think about sometimes like, 
how, how it would have been like to walk in her shoes and even my mom's shoes who didn't have a dad. And I also think about how losing two children that probably doesn't go away. And it always, always probably stays a part of you. And on top of that, I'm not sure if she actually ever saw her husband again. Maybe she might've in flying back and forth to Hong Kong. But, you know, while she was here, she was the primary breadwinner. She she took care of my mom because when we got here, my mom was the youngest child or when they got here, I'm sorry. And she was 16, I believe. So she was still in high school. But, you know, like the lasting impact of those losses, they, they really didn't show up in her interaction with us day to day. She was such a strong woman. And I just, you know, now that she's gone, I feel so lucky that she helped raise me. The last time I saw her was actually, it's coming up on a year and it was Chinese New Year last year. So we, we've been strictly abiding to social distancing rules for her health. Obviously she was 97. On the day that I last saw her last year, our extended family gathered, which means my cousins also came as well as their children. And in the past, you know, we've celebrated Chinese New Year in a restaurant, but because her health was already deteriorating, we brought the food to her. So we kind of foregoed that tradition of visiting each other's homes with a gift and exchanging red envelopes, but we all came to her. And that day, I just, it was really difficult because I watched her slowly move across the room and she couldn't do it without her walker. And she kept repeating the same phrase out loud in Cantonese. And she was just saying to herself to remind herself, like, move slowly, move slowly, move slowly. Like, that's all she kept saying because she didn't want to fall and she wanted to, you know, focus on what she was doing. And it brought me to tears just watching her because it was then that it set in for me that I realized, like, you know, how much of her we had already lost. When I think about her when she was younger, she's like this vibrant figure kind of like a blurry figure caught in a caught in motion in a photograph. She was she was really an extrovert and she drew energy from being around other people. She always had this perm as do many Chinese grandmas and it was a voluminous perm and it was gray and white and it, her head was always on the move, never never sitting still for long and I think now I understand that in the same way that you feel time is a thief when you have children. You can feel it just as hard when you're watching your loved ones grow old. So in November, she, she turned 97 and her health, it just, it took a turn for the worse. Um, she started eating less and my mom, bless her, has had been taking care of her as her primary caretaker. And one day she went up there and she just hadn't got out of bed and she hadn't been eating. And by December, she was put in a full-time facility. So you guys know the situation with COVID and she contracted COVID and after a short bout in the ICU, she, she passed a few days later. I think <laughs> I'm still processing this. So I think like I could go on and on about how sad and angry I am that I didn't get to say goodbye and that she was alone with no one that she knew when she passed, that I didn't do more when I could do more. Um, but I'm trying to think of it as, you know, that's, that's not the way to honor her legacy. She was a vibrant woman who, who loved all of us with 
with all of her being. And she knew what it was to experience loss, the loss of children, the loss of love. I'd really like to think that that's why she poured so much love into the relationship she did have and why she always wanted to be around people because she knew what it was to lose them. So if anything from this whole story, what I would want people to take away is that, you know, tomorrow is never promised. So love with all your heart and enjoy life and don't wait. Whatever it is that you want to do, just do it. You only get one life. And that's what I think, you know, she would want me to do. I'm still waiting for a sign from her because I believe in that. The other day I went to sleep wishing that she would um, visit me in my dreams and it didn't happen. I had a really weird dream instead. <laughs> but, you know, I, I hope I get that message from her soon. I think maybe she's just not at peace yet because she's not at rest yet. With COVID, we haven't been able to get a, a date yet on when we're going to put her to rest. Um, so maybe after that, I'll get a little bit more closure. But until then, I am imagining her up in heaven, <laughs> playing game after game of Mahjong, just living her best life. And I know she would want me to do the same. So that's a little bit about her. Sorry, I got emotional. <laughs> it's a little raw still. Um, you should be sorry, Tila. I think you're all emotional. <laughs> that was we beautiful. All relate. It's so beautiful. Thank you. You know, I think she's very proud of you too. Oh, thank well, you. Thank you. I also want to thank you guys and and you know our listeners for support during this time. It's not always easy to know what to do when someone is grieving. It's not even easy to know what to say. Experiencing loss is already a challenge, but experiencing loss during COVID is another level. So if anybody needs to connect, I'm here from, from the listener base. A friend of mine actually started a clubhouse room the other day about losing a loved one during COVID. And it was such a sad thing that brought the room together, but it almost felt like a hug in a time where you actually can't get a hug. Somebody from the Midwest saw the name of the room, popped in, didn't have anybody that passed away. And she was just like, I saw this room and I'm so sorry for your loss. I just wanted to say that. Like, I'm, I feel that you're grieving and I wish there was something that I could do, but I can't, but I just am here to say I'm sorry. And it kind of was like, you know, <laughs> that's, that's so human, right? So Human connection is really important during this time, however you get it. So to our listeners, this is a little bit of a heavy one. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, but you know, thank you for joining us. And we hope you enjoyed this first installment of these legacy stories. Teach Cha actually gave us a teaser of hers and it includes winning the lottery. <laughs> and Issa is also going to be honoring her grandmother as well. And we will just have to wait to find out what we'll learn about the Chukiots. <laughs> there's, a, there's actually some stuff that I had thought about that I can't wait to tell you. Ooh, apparently, apparently my dad, like the Chukiot name is kind of famous in Thailand. Oh, uh, yeah. Are you uh, a crazy rich Asian? <laughs> <laughs> my, my dad's relatives were. Oh, my God. I can't wait to hear this. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I am not. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, at, thing before you sign off, Tilo. Yeah. Yeah. This is something that I've, you know, noticed about you just in the past couple years that you have this this depth 
and this like reservoir of love and emotion that you actually don't see in a lot of first generation Chinese women. And I think it's a direct representation of the love that was bestowed upon you by your mother and by your grandmother. So that is just so admirable to me. And I envy that. I envy that so much. And it helps me to kind of like dig a little deeper too, um, to find that emotion because you're right, time is a thief and this is the time to show it. But like when you've never learned that or had that bestowed upon you, it's hard. So now I'm kind of drawing that that reservoir from you. So I just thought that you you're an inspiration that way. So just wanted to share. You're making me cry. Thank you. (laughs) I think she said it best. I mean, there's no other way to say it. I, I definitely think you're a source of love and you show it. Thank you, guys. And I really look forward to learning more about your football. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's right. So at TID Talks, we aim to reflect and empower women on subjects that matter most to us. So be a part of our family and get a sense of how we and other women conquer this world by following us on Instagram at TID underscore talks and get on our email subscriber list, which is in the link in the bio on our Instagram page. Review us on iTunes and email us suggestions on what you'd love to hear. But for now, we're signing off and saying goodbye. Thank you guys so much. Bye. 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 Credit to our husbands without their support on this project, um, it would not be possible. On top of that, we'd like to thank our technical crew, um, music production by Baby Daddy Beats, and graphic design curated by Kano Imamura. And also, I'd love to thank all of you guys, co-executive producers, all four of us. You know, this is our baby, so thank you guys.